Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. And in this episode, we have Cindy Wambrandt, who is um, helping people suffering from religious trauma, deconstructing their faith to parent their kids well through it. Um, obviously, a, a huge topic, a massive, massive topic. Of, uh, a, a huge amount of us that are deconstructing have kids. Um, the, the ramifications of how we were parented, how we were brought up within the confines of religion, within the confines of faith, um, that gets deconstructed as we deconstruct as well. And, and we, we are left questioning, how do we raise our kids well? And um, I'm so excited to get stuck in and talk with Cindy about this. Um, before we get started, just want to remind you um, of an amazing free resource. If you are deconstructing your faith, I'd encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's a completely free resource that helps you find other people that are deconstructing in your local area. It can be such a lonely and painful journey to deconstruct. Um, so many of us lose our communities, our friends, our family. Um, it can be such an isolating process, um, but it doesn't need to be an isolating process. The, the deconstruction movement is one of the fastest growing spiritual movements in the world. Um, there are so many people deconstructing their faith every day, um, but it is hard to find people that are deconstructing. And so that is the goal of the deconstructionnetwork.com. Um, helps you find people in your local area that are going through faith deconstruction. They might not believe the same as you, but they did believe the same as you, and they are coming out of that and away from that. And having people that understand this process, having people to laugh with, cry with, um, you know, just connect over um, the the shit store of our past, um, that can be a huge, huge deal. And so I would encourage you to check out the deconstructionnetwork.com. It's completely free, as everything I do is. Um, but for now, let's dive into the conversation with Cindy. Hey, how's it going? Hey, I'm very sorry. No, 6.30 in the morning, so... Oh, wow. Gosh. So I'm just grabbing a quick bite to eat. <laughs> no worries. It's totally fine. Where are you based? So you're based somewhere in Asia, is that right? Like in... Yeah, in, Taiwan. Eight hours in Taiwan. Okay, yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And cool. where are you? Uh, UK. UK. Okay. Yeah. That's what I thought you had said. But you're American? I'm Scottish, actually. But I've lived in America. Oh, okay. I've lived all over. Um, and I've got this oh, weird... Okay. Uh, quasi accent and then most of the people i work with are in america i'm sure you know some of that mm -hmm. like a lot of people coming out of kind of christianity yeah so that's kind of your audience is over in america a lot yeah 60 70 yeah. i'd say oh so okay good chunk and the rest are i i don't even know I, I i don't keep track of these things as well it's probably shifted over the years but yeah i think the thing is with me being in europe i think europe they had their mass shift away from Christianity decades ago, you know, like, right. and it just, mm -hmm. uh, still people are doing it, but you know, there's just not that many people in Christianity who are shifting. Um, mm. Whereas in America, I mean, everyone and their mom still is on some level Christian. There's still a kind of, yes. Yeah. Kind of tendency or an, a, an obligation or, or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So people coming out of that is a much bigger deal in the UK. You start leaving church and, Maybe some of your friends are a bit like, oh, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. But on the whole, it's, it's yeah. not that big a culture shock. Plenty of people don't do it. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I think that's a big and factor. I, I mean, I wonder if, if Americans could learn from what happened then, um, you know, like. You'd wonder. You, there's so many books on it. Like, um, there's really? some like, really interesting. There's a sociologist called um, uh, Stuart Murray. 
and um, uh-huh. he studies um, post-Christendom societies. So he's got yeah. a really good book called, I think it's called Post-Christendom, and it basically looks at Europe and mm-hmm. says, you've got this culture that is still Christian, but yeah. like the the people aren't really ascribing to that. In fact, you have people that are kids today in Europe don't even know Bible stories. You, you tell kids that are six, like Noah's Ark, and they're like, what? Right. You know, whereas like yeah, yeah. 20, 30 years ago, or you go into America and talk about Noah's Ark, it doesn't matter. Like everyone has heard of that story and knows it. Yes. Um, and so he's yeah. like, if anything, Christians have this like beautiful opportunity where they get to actually evangelize people who have never heard the story. If, if, if Christians engaged with that concept and engaged with like the mm. opportunity, um, mm-hmm. whatever people believe about Christianity, I, I don't know whether I'd be particularly excited about evangelizing or anything. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but certainly like there's a new, it's kind of a new concept of what Christianity can yeah. look like, how it can engage with people. And so he's got some really interesting stuff about that. And I think it speaks a lot to how Christians failed to transition well and how Christians mm-hmm. failed to kind of go, huh, people are leaving because of what? Oh, that maybe we could adapt. And just that rigidness actually mm. caused a lot of people to leave that probably wouldn't have left otherwise. You know, you see yeah. the amount of people I talk to day in, day out that like, oh, I left because they weren't LGBT affirming. And I'm like, okay, yeah. is that it though? Because yeah. you probably could have found a progressive church somewhere or something, you know, like it, yeah, maybe yeah. if there was more churches being willing to be a bit more um, progressive, yeah. you wouldn't see yeah. so many people leaving. Or It's know, interesting, it's- you know, when I first was kind of breaking away from it, I, I went to this church that was gay affirming nearby mm. and I walked in there and it was very clearly, you know, they got rainbow <laughs> flags and, and I think the pastors were lesbians, but everything else is the same. Like they mm-hmm. were singing the same yep. songs, the same order of service. And I was like, no, <laughs> I, like, yeah, I was yeah. not okay. You know, I was done with, with that kind of um, environment. And it was interesting at the time I was like, so it, it isn't just the gay affirming mm. thing that I'm walking away from. Yeah. 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 So it's, really it's amazing. The different cracks that appear in people's like kind of framework and they go, Oh, that's my issue. Or, you know, they have a, a gay mm-hmm. son or they, um, their loved one died and they didn't get saved, but they're like, there's no way they're burning forever or, or whatever yeah. it is. But yeah. then as they actually start to find communities that don't believe that suddenly they're mm-hmm. like, yeah, but really we still believe this or you're still mm-hmm. doing that. Or really we, we think mm-hmm. the guy, it's a guy in the sky. Like, what's mm-hmm. that or whatever? Yeah. Um, it is really fascinating how, yeah, once there, it feels like once there's a crack, once there's something there that, that allows us to start exploring, suddenly we start yeah. seeing everything with that lens. It's not just a few yeah. things. But then obviously not for a lot of people, right? I mean, some people That's right. love a progressive church with a lesbian couple yes. leading it and yeah, they, they don't it. go oh yeah yeah that's fine we're, we're cool with penal substitution or eternal consciousness yeah or- i know i heard i saw this tweet um someone said that they've you know deconstructed whatever but they still feel that like it still brings them to tears to hear that song shout to the lord mm. you know the hill song i don't know if you know that song it was yeah no popular. i know that song <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i was like are you seriously because i that does not move me at all. Yeah. <laughs> if, anything, if it moves me, it moves me to tears for very different reasons. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, I believe him when he says this, that yeah. he's, that it moves him to tears. And even though he's locked, yeah, but it, it was very hard to relate. <laughs> it's so funny, isn't it? It's, it's weird. I guess yeah. it's personality components. And then I guess everyone's just different, what they need and 
the the things that they need to feel comfortable to feel safe to have a framework to feel that they exist on a spinning rock hurtling through space you know we kind of need something to help us feel like we're not just a collection of atoms that has some form of (laughs) consciousness or whatever but uh, yeah yeah it's weird worship music not not for me that's not the one you know, I, I don't no. know what it is for a lot of people, but that does not tick my box. But I know people that are like, yeah, I don't, I don't even believe in God anymore, yeah. but I put worship music yeah. on in the background just to kind of chill out. And I'm like, God, I'd be triggered to hell. Like yeah. I didn't like worship music when I was at church. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's so funny. Oh, that's I'm so excited funny. you're doing this. This is really great. Yeah, I, I, I'll probably just include really all of this anyway. So. Time. Oh, it's fine. It's great. Yeah. Things come and go and, and, and things happen. And so it's not a problem. Yeah. I'm very flexible. And so this is all I really Thank do. You. Listen, chat to people. So I'm the definition oh, okay. of flexible. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. Great. But uh, yeah, I, I was I, watching your stories with the, um, when people answering people's questions, you did oh, a really Q&A, good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, you get it's lots. It's a tough dynamic. <laughs> I get a lot of I feel of like Q&A. if I do a Q&A, I don't, I get crickets. There's, there's this fear I have though. Like I'm, I'm, I spent a long time not wanting to do things like that Q and A or an Instagram live or things. Cause I'm like, oh. oh, if no one comes on, how awkward is it going to be? And like, I'm like, do I create like fake questions that I answer? And I'm like, oh, someone asked yeah. me this earlier in a message and I'll just, I'll start with those, you know, and I'm, yeah. I'm like, I'm paranoid. And then it always yeah. seems to work out. Like, even if it's like, Mm. 10 people coming on live like it's great conversation or even if i get like four or five questions on um thing but i think mm. i do a and a Q&A every single wednesday now oh, um, the i've not the last couple of weeks um because oh, okay. of just things with yeah. the election and stuff i was like i just don't feel like people need that in their feed um, yeah, maybe yeah. we needed that in our feed and not everything else we were getting but yeah um, but i think yeah consistency probably helps because people then they bottle up their questions i still get them every day and messages and stuff but um, yeah. it feels like people know like, oh, there's a and I'll save up a question yeah. for that. Yeah. But, uh, well, I really yeah. enjoyed it. I really enjoyed your, your, your answers too. So it's, it's a weird yeah. one because I, I don't know about you because I don't know much about you. I have to be honest because I've always, I, I've, <laughs> I've did heard you find, about find you nonstop. Like people oh. mention you, but they always <laughs> mention you in the concept context of like parenting and, and me and my wife don't have kids. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. that's definitely in our future, but it's not right now. So I'm like, yeah. I have enough books to read. I have enough podcasts to listen to. I'm like parenting ones mm. that's on the back yeah. burner, right? I'll pick up some of those yeah. once we get pregnant or something like that. You know, I'll start, yeah. I'll start cramming. I've got nine months. Um, yeah. but like, so I just never even kind of thought like, Oh, I'm not even going to, and then I think it was the other, I was a couple of weeks ago, whenever I messaged you and, and I, and mm. someone had asked like, who do you recommend for parenting stuff? And I was like, I'm sure I've heard a couple of names. Can't think of anyone off the top of my head. And I was like, who mm-hmm. do other people recommend? And do you know what? I got like, I think, two recommendations i think they recommended someone else like once and then i got like 30 people recommending you and i was like <laughs> i should probably have her on to talk so uh i'm excited but uh i don't really know much about you at all so that's my precursor so i am apologetic okay. um in that if i ask you the most obvious like you're like everyone knows this about me phil um please forgive me okay because uh, i yeah, do not no. know much about your journey or okay. anything and so maybe we can okay. start there and kind of maybe a little bit sure. of like who you are and how you got to where you are now. And then we can kind of take it from wherever. This is very relaxed, okay. very chill. What kind of time yeah, frame do you have? Good. Like, how are you good? You're 630 um, in the morning. Gosh. Yeah. So now it's 640. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a morning person though. So I'm okay to get up. Okay. You know, that's good. I'm ready to go. Yeah. I'm the opposite. So I mean, yeah. it's like, yeah, almost 11 here, but I often go into like three in the morning. I'm talking to people on podcasts and stuff. So 
Oh yeah. This ends. Yeah, if I were in your time, I would be the worst guest you could ever get. Seriously, it'd yeah. be a nightmare, right? Yeah. I'm very. I go to bed very early, and I'm just done. <laughs> That's funny. Cool. Okay, are, so are you good for time then, Nia. Yeah. What, what are you thinking? Because um, you told me that you do long podcasts, right? I do. I do. So th- yeah. <laughs> they usually short end is about an hour and a half, um, but they okay. can go longer. I want to be really careful of like whatever time you have. So like, if you give me a look, this is my absolute. I need to be gone by then. Okay. We'll definitely stay yeah. within that. Um, yeah. So I had set out kind of two hours, so six thirty to eight thirty. So let's let's try and wrap up by then for sure. Um, okay. So I need to watch because I can talk. And usually most people I have come on, they can talk too. Um, <laughs> and so we'll, we'll have lots to cover. But uh, why don't we start by diving into like, who is Cindy? Like, how did you yeah. get to where you are today? Like, I'm assuming mm-hmm. almost everyone I talk to at some point started within the confines of some sort of religion. Um, yes. And you are now here on the other side, helping people that have, you know, their own kind of religious trauma backgrounds and, and mm-hmm. fundamental backgrounds, breaking free of that, raising kids. But how did we get That's there? Right. Like what happened? Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, for someone who says you don't know me very well, you captured it really well. I was just looking at uh, this you know, what's your 30 second elevator pitch for your podcast, which my podcast is called Parenting Forward. And I I was thinking, oh, it's so easy. So my podcast is helping parents recover from religious trauma so that they can raise their kids for a better life. Right. Um, And so, yeah, so my name is Cindy Wong Brandt, and I am speaking to you from Taiwan. Um, I was born and raised here. I was born into an irreligious family. So I actually didn't start out in religion. Um, but uh, my family immigrated uh, overseas. And when we came back, I, my parents didn't want, want to put me in the local school system. And so they put me in the school that was started by conservative evangelical missionaries in Taiwan. Okay. Um, and, you know, the school was founded to serve missionary kids, but they also accept local kids. So I was considered a local kid. And right. um, a local and kid so in I, with all the missionary kids. That's right. You were yeah, doomed, I mean, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, like when I was there, so in my generation, it was more like 50 50. There are 50% oh, wow. missionary. 50% lo- local kids. Now my kids go to that school too, but now it's more like 90% lo- local kids because wow. missionaries are dwindling here in Taiwan. Mm. So, I mean, I don't even know if there's 10% missionary kids. It's more like wow. 5%. So it's kind of overwhelmingly secular <laughs> in terms yeah. of the student body. Um, anyway, so at that time I was converted Um yeah, so I was converted by missionaries, um, and I was about 12 years old. And then I sort of spent my formation, adolescent formation days in evangelicalism. And, you know, it was pretty immersive because for an international school, we kind of are in our own little bubble, right? Because we don't quite fit sure. in with the local schools. And so within that bubble, we had, right, we had chapels, we had Bible studies, we had the, you know, short-term missions trips. And so I was very immersed in that environment. And it Mm. was a very impressive um, formation time for me. So even though I didn't, I wasn't born into a religious family, it really feels like I grew up in it. Um, Yeah. And then, and I was very devoted. I was very serious about my faith. And um, I, 
ended up going to a Christian college, which was a big step for me coming from a a religious family. Right. Mm, Um, But I made that choice when I was going to college, I went to a Christian college, I went to Wheaton College, and oh, wow. then I went to Fuller Seminary, and then I actually became a missionary myself. Um, wow. And I was so I was I did that for five and a half years along with my husband. So, yeah, and then you know people like the neat story of <laughs> I became a Christian and I was in this, and then I started deconstructing, but. But really, you know, the, the journey of, right, going into religion and coming out of religion, all of that, this whole journey is, I call it a process of figuring stuff out. Mm, absolutely, <laughs> and yeah. if you look at my journey, I've been figuring stuff out for a long time, even, right, even as a kid and as an adolescent and as a young adult, as always figuring stuff out. Mm. But I guess on the surface, on an institutional level, I began to start pushing away from that construct of my adolescence um, Mm. as I moved out of the mission field. So maybe in my 30s um, was when I began to be outspoken about leaving that world. Um, I mean, even at the time, I wouldn't have called it leaving because I was afraid to leave, which is part of the design yeah, to course. make you afraid to leave. But that's what I was doing. I was I was starting the process of leaving. Um, and so that's how I spent my 30s. And then, and then at the same time, I became a parent. So I was starting to figure out, well, how am I supposed to raise my kids when I am figuring all the stuff out, very confused and anxious and, you know, filled with all these feelings of like regret and betrayal and, and all of these things. Um, how do I manage all those feelings? Um, how do I figure out cognitively what my beliefs are? How do I do all of that really important work when I'm raising kids who are right. doing, are they're figuring stuff out at the same time, but at a different stage of their faith formation, mm. right? Um, so yeah. that's when I started to do work online and trying to find community support of other people who might be going through this. And that's how Parenting Forward started. I started a Facebook group called Raising Children Unfundamentalists, which is still going strong mm. now. And... Um, eventually published Parenting Forward, the book, and now I have the podcast and I have posted two conferences and I have one coming up called Parenting After Purity Culture. Um, So I've just really invested in this work of helping other parents who are in my position, who've had to leave a whole worldview and not necessarily leave, but like they're in that um, tumultuous process of shifting. And how are they going to, yeah, again, sort of manage all those feelings at the same time, um, being tasked with this responsibility of raising a new generation of little humans. Yeah. Wow. That's quite the journey. Like you said, it is, it's just figuring it out as we go. I don't know if we ever are not figuring it out. I think we like to, we tell ourselves these stories and create these stories that give us a bit more stability. We feel like we're more static, but the truth is we probably are changing and morphing and adapting constantly. Um, And then we fit it into our story to feel more static. But uh, yeah, I think like 
I can't even imagine. Like, uh, we, we just started um, dog sitting two days a week because mm. um, I want a dog. And I'm like, I also know I shouldn't get a dog because I just have, have not got the time to commit to it and, and the finances and everything else. I'm just like, let's not get a dog. And I was like, let's dog sit two days a week. And I, after two weeks, I'm like, let's go down to one day a week. Like, I am like, <laughs> I just don't have the mental space, the time. It's a young puppy. It's like a lot of work. And I'm like, mm. how am I going to survive with a child like it's, it's so much like yeah. you know going on i cannot imagine doing that in the headspace of having existential crisis grieving yes. the loss of community grieving the loss of god yeah. even if you still believe in god the, the god you believed you've lost that maybe the relationship that you used to have or whatever getting through the regret and the whatever the shame all these different emotions that are flying around i cannot imagine having another human being relying on me 24 7 whilst mm-hmm. trying to like you know just yeah. parent myself almost you know um yeah, it, it's exactly. so much to go through it was it so really is. you started a community like but you initially went online to kind of try and find some form of community when you kind of went on was there not really much going on in in the online space of parenting around the concept of deconstructing deconverting that kind of stuff was did you kind of walk I in and go holy so. crap this is a niche <laughs> I just was like, why isn't anyone else talking about this? To me, it was such a glaring problem that needed, you know, I mean, I can't solve the problem, but it needed community. It needed support. Mm. And yeah, I just, I I couldn't, I really couldn't believe it. You know, when you try to publish a book, they ask you to look for comparable titles. So other books that are like it. Mm. And I just couldn't. I didn't feel like I found any, <laughs> right? Wow. Um, and then also like the idea of parenting, uh, especially in America, any kind of Christian faith parenting is saturated with conservative values, oh, right? I mean, there's a family values party, right? <laughs> um, so you've got James Dobson and, it, you know, and then his subsequent, like his, you know, people who came after him, like focus on the family is still thriving. Um, it's crazy. And so you, it's wild. Yeah. And so it's like overwhelmingly the support for parents are coming from the conservative faith voices. Mm. And I'm like, there are lots of amazing progressive faith voices. How come there's nothing on parenting? Um, mm. And so I guess I wanted to fill that need um, yeah. And so that's, that's what I've been doing. Yeah, I, I guess. So, I mean, there are a thousand different directions we can go and, and I'm sure you have different things that you're like, oh, well, we should talk about this. You know, this field probably better than me. So please steer us if we get into weeds. But one of the things that fascinates me is in working with people that go through some form of deconstruction or my camera's gone like really weird. Yeah. Um, I'm like, has sorry. my eyes gotten worse? Have no, I aged? just like suddenly gone blind. <laughs> I just switched off. So it's fine. Um, it's fascinating as you work with people that deconstruct because it can look like almost anything. You're, you're going into the unknown. And for there's so much um, opinion out there of what deconstruction looks like, right? You you, you yeah. put out some article online and everyone comes to the surface to tell you what they think about deconstruction. But working in the area of research with deconstruction, which is part of what I do, I can tell you that it's not what people portray. Like, yes, some people go and fully deconvert and become an atheist, but a lot of people 
going to a, a lot more of a gray area, maybe agnosticism with That's a bit right. of Christian kind of blended in. Some people redefine their Christianity, they go into a, kind of a more progressive Christianity or, mm-hmm. or something a little bit more gray, but in that world, some people go into a more kind of spiritual thing and they term themselves, you know, spiritual but not religious or some other things. Yeah. There's so many different directions. And I guess to me, it, 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 it's been challenging for me to take a step back and go, okay, I can't, be to my spirituality i have to take a step back and go okay what about your spirituality and and help guide people according to where they're at and i guess how did you navigate this concept of we're no longer fundamentalists that's right what we are is probably a very diverse and complex area i just had um, a homeschooler on recently who is homeschooling her kids but from a decolonized deconstructed conception which for homeschooling is generally very conservative that's Um, right and and she's like trying to process that and i was was asking the same question i'm like but are you still factoring it is your faith are you still doing the same kind of brainwashing and i don't mean that in even a negative sense but i just mean Mm -hmm. like creating a very rigid kind of paradigm around spirituality right how do you avoid that? Like, is that something you're aware of and try and avoid? Or do you go, ah, we all have our spirituality and it's probably good to instill that in our kids. Like, yeah. what's the way to handle that for people, especially when they're not maybe certain in what they believe at the time? Well, I mean, you you touched on this a little bit earlier when you said that we're all figuring out our place in this hurtling rock through space, right? Um, and I think that it is universal that we as human beings are meaning makers. Um, we all are trying to construct some kind of meaning about our lives and our purpose and, and all these things. And so I do make this claim that everyone is spiritual um, mm-hmm. because I think, I, I think for me, spirituality is referring to that fundamental need to create meaning. Um, and So I don't think that we have to be shy about owning that. Um, I think we don't live in a vacuum of values and of stories and of constructs. I don't think it's possible. Uh, You can't step outside of that that project of meaning making. Um, And so I think being aware of this as parents, like, okay, well, then we we are living some kind of story. Right. And my particular story is of this very profound faith shift. Um, But it's only profound because of the constructs that society has put on. It's only profound because it's it's very glaring and obvious that I was part of this one institution and now that I've left. Mm. But we all are shifting in some way. (laughs) We're all moving. um, We all have some kind of movement and we all are trying to apply some kind of story to the way that we move through life and this Mm. world. Um, And so I think for, um, for parents and for, for what I do, I, I, I tell people, well, don't be afraid to own it. Don't be afraid to own that you are creating some kind of meaning and you are sharing some kind of values with your kids. Um, And I think the most important thing that I really try to focus on is that we have to give our children the autonomy to create their own story, to write their Mm. own story, to construct their own meaning. Because I think what was most harmful about my upbringing was that, you know, the robbing of my autonomy, right? That I I was taught to not trust myself. I was trusted I was, uh, you know, that my desires were sinful. 
And that erosion of my autonomy was very abusive spiritually because, mm. because I was robbed of my ability to create meaning for my own life. Um, and that's right. Like I said, if that's the fundamental human need to construct meaning and you take that away from me, from a child, that is abusive. Um, yeah. And so, so I think uh, in the work that I do, I'm trying to dismantle, I'm trying to say, this is what you don't do. You don't mm. abuse a child spiritually, but then whatever happens after that, then it's up to the child. It's not even up to the parents, right? Our job is to give them the freedom and the power to force our own path. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, I mean, we're doing two things at the same time. We're claiming and reclaiming our own power to write our own story and hopefully modeling that for the kids. Um, and then we're also sort of creating the first story that they are going to live into mm. and negotiate and renegotiate as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I'm very pleased because in my group, Raising Children on Fundamentalists, we have p parents of all different faith per persuasions. Um, mm. We have anything from atheists to, you know, pagans to progressive Christians to, I mean, the only people I don't think we have too many of is maybe evangelical Christians because I, I push back so often against that. I don't think they feel very welcome in there. Um, sure. But maybe some of them are there either hate following or they're genuine about exploring um, their own faith tradition mm. and they're able to handle my criticism of it. Um, and if, if that's true, then good for them. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. I mean, absolutely. If, if they can handle it, that's, that's, it's probably speaks a lot to maybe some of their journey and where they're heading anyway. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's really great. So what are like, what are the main kind of challenges? If, if you were kind of to go, oh, these are the biggies um, that are quite specific to parents that are deconstructing. What what are the kind of like, oh, crap, what does this mean from how I raise my kids? What that looks like? I mean, I, I hear a lot yeah. of things. I get a lot of questions. Usually I'm just like, oh, now I'm like, oh, go check out Parenting Forward or go check out someone else. But generally speaking, I'm like, hey, I, I have my areas of expertise. They're very niche. That is not one of them. Do not ask me. I don't know. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I hear the same questions and, and things like that. And so I, I'm intrigued, like you must hear um, overarching um, kind of yeah. themes that people are, are struggling with. And, and what are yeah. those? And, and how do people well, start Well, they're probably not this? actually too different from the questions you get. The, the, um, some of the most frequently asked questions and problems that people need solving is community. They've lost mm. their community. And evangelicalism was really great for raising a family because they have something lined up for their kids you know, in the summer, they have VBS during the year, they have yeah. potlucks and they have the Sunday school and it's very well resourced. And there's a lot of money going to those programs. And there's a plethora of curriculum <laughs> um, for people to use and engage and they're fun and they're crafty and <laughs> right. Like that's evangelicals yeah, do that really well. So for anyone who's leaving that, they're walking away from a whole structure of family life. <laughs> mm -hmm. And that's, that's a big struggle. Um, and so that's one, one challenge that people have. Another very common challenge is their relationship with grandparents. 
um, mm. because so many of them are trying to raise their kids in progressive values. They have, you know, maybe no spanking and, and like even very expansive um, notions of, of gender expression and their grandparents can't handle it. So yeah. the parents' parents and the children's grandparents, right? Um, yeah. And then navigating that during holidays. So that's also not maybe exclusive to parenting spaces, but it adds a little bit of extra stress because if you right <laughs> have tension with your parents, you're, you're going to have to try to explain that to their kids, why they aren't going to their beloved grandparents' house this year. Yeah. Um, so there's that no, challenge. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, there's plenty to go in and there, I guess. Um, I mean, that second point is just absolutely massive because I mean, the, the relational fallout, and I guess both of them really come down to relational fallout and, and community and, um, mm-hmm. but that's right. the dynamics of dealing with parents and just naturally the, the family that we come from is more than likely to not come with us. Um, yeah. and, and if we're escaping some form of faith, it's usually the faith of our family more often than not. Um, and so like, but the, the problem with parents is, I mean, just disappointing your parents in general is, is a hard thing for a lot of people to navigate, especially in these religious concepts Mm. is so much honor your parents and all those kind of dynamics in play. Then there's Mm -hmm. the kind of patriarchal, even somewhat matriarchal components of like, well, whoever's up the top, they kind of dictate, they kind of do get to go, oh, well, you know, you shouldn't be doing that with your kids and the the right way to do it is this or the wrong way to do it and whatever. Like there's a whole nother level of pressure as soon as you bring kids into play and then Mm -hmm. the kid's not understanding. Uh, Like that's, that's going to be tough as well because how do you say to your kid, look, it's just a really toxic environment for you at grandpa and Mm -hmm. (laughs) grandma's house. Like that's a hard thing to explain to a four-year-old or an eight-year-old. Um, yeah. Like, how how do people start going about like creating those boundaries and things that are required there? Like, do you requ- well, recommend exactly people to it. kind of <laughs> just kind of draw the line and go, we we can't do this? Or, I mean, how do people start dealing with very um, conservative um, grandparents and obviously parents for them? And yeah, so I think <clears throat> I think you name the magic word as boundaries. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me. No, you're fine. <clears throat> You know, they say you shouldn't drink coffee in the morning, that it doesn't help with your voice. But I'm like, I needed some coffee. <laughs> You're fine. Do you edit? <clears throat> you edit I tend your... not to. It's, it's fine. People, <laughs> you know what? If people listen to this and they don't want to listen to someone cough once in a while, th- oh, okay. they are not engaged. Do you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> I'm sure if they're engaged, they can plow through. Um, but yeah. Yeah. You can do or say or whatever you want. And, and I can edit it as well if you want to, if you do go, oh God, I shouldn't have mentioned that person or whatever. Oh, okay. Got a five minute <laughs> coughing fit. If you need to go grab another drink or something, we can edit. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I think you named the magic concept, which is boundaries. And so we talk a lot about boundaries in our community because, and I think it's especially challenging for those of us who grew up evangelical or in religiously conservative environments because boundaries were not honored and we never learned how to even draw them. We don't even know Mm. how to recognize what boundaries are. So people like recently, someone asked me, um, when do we draw a boundary and when do we just disengage with Mm. regards to grandparents, you know, or parents? And I'm like, see, even that question betrays that you don't understand what boundaries are because disengaging is a boundary. (laughs) That is a way of, 
drawing a boundary. So we don't even have like, it's like we have to go back to boundaries 101. Or we have to mm. go back and reparent ourselves and learning what boundaries are and what it means to, to make them. Um, because, right, like I said, the, the theologies and the ideologies and the culture in that environment just didn't foster that. We did. We never learned. Um, and so I, I feel like that's the key to managing a lot of these relationships, both with finding new communities or leaving old communities and managing relationships, because it's all about what it means to um, sort of become comfortable with what you're okay with and what you're not okay with, which is like the definition of boundaries, right? Yeah. Um, so learning that about yourself and then owning that, <laughs> like truly embracing it and being like, this is what I'm okay with. This is what, what I'm not okay with. And I just really believe that if you come to the space of being comfortable with that, um, mm. then it's a lot easier in terms of drawing boundaries, in terms of making decisions about whether or not you want to engage or you want to disengage or you want to ghost or you want to leave a community and go to another community because it's not, uh, it doesn't become this dramatic showdown, right? Um, it simply is being who you are in whatever space you're in. Yeah. Um, and it's not near as reactive. Um, it's just, hey, this is this is how we're gonna do it. This is what I'm I'm okay with. Mm. This is what I'm not okay with, right? Like you can simply state your boundaries, and you can do it in kindness and love and compassion and curiosity. Um, in instead of I'm cutting you out of my life, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Which is absolutely which it sounds like a strong boundary being drawn, but I think for somebody, when people cut someone out of their lives in a very angry reactionary way, it actually shows that they're, they're not, they're still learning to draw a boundary because I think healthy boundary drawing is, is not done out of anxiety, but out of security. Yeah, no, that's huge. I think that betrays as well how we're brought up in some of these kind of more fundamental kind of um, concepts of faith is that we don't really learn to have autonomy. We do look to the authority figure to dictate how we should operate, how we should right. relate to others and, and even relate to the authority figure. And um, I guess that just has this cyclical knock on effect, right? So we can't do it. And then God knows if our kids will ever learn to do it if we can't learn um, and, and so on and so forth, I guess. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess, it, yeah, like you said, it betrays this like insecurity, acting out of fear, not really being mm -hmm. confident in ourselves, not having that autonomy and going, oh, no, I'm not doing this to punish you. I'm doing this because I need some space. And That's right. you, you're welcome to come back in. But right. there's, like, mm -hmm. I always kind of try and say, like, uh, it feels like a lot of, I've, I've had, been around a lot of evangelicals that talk about boundaries and teach boundaries, but it feels like boundaries in those contexts are always taught as this kind of punishment mechanism. Um, yeah. and it's really weird and warped. Um, and to me, like, mm. that shouldn't be how we set up our boundaries. I think that's no. certainly early stages how a lot of people do end up setting up their boundaries when they deconstruct and they have to kind of just go no and, and there is a lashback or a, a, i have to disconnect or whatever but yeah. there should be some concept of like hey here i'm putting up a fence there's a gate here on the mm -hmm. gate are some rules when you're That's able right. to fulfill those i really want you on the other side of this fence but you're yeah. not coming across until you tick the boxes on the gate 
Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that requires a whole level of working in ourselves, I guess. And um, yeah. do, do you find that reparenting oneself is, is a big component of this as well? Then it's not just really. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, in this project to parent forward, I, I often say we, we don't want to change our children. We don't want to control our children. That's the opposite of what we're doing. Um, but there is one thing that we can change, which is ourselves, right? So like we, you know, in parenting spaces, you're like, you want to raise kind children and children with justice and, and compassionate children. And those are all very good things, but we can't ultimately um, apply character on, to our kids. They're not robots that we can design. Yeah. Um, we can't input <laughs> what the protocol of who, who we want them to be because they're humans and they have this freedom to choose and they have the freedom to choose things we don't like. <laughs> mm. But yeah. there are things that we can do to change ourselves and to create a loving environment. Um, and so, yeah, a big part of that is reparenting ourselves. So raising children on fundamentalists is about dismantling and relearning some of the things that we didn't learn when we were raised fundamentalists. Um, and <clears throat> hopefully um, the process of doing that results in, you know, treating our children better and mm. helping giving them a model for being able to change. Like, I think it's a really important work that we're doing is showing our children that they can change their minds. I feel like that's wow. actually um, kind of a benefit of people who are faith shifting because, you know, maybe kids who are growing up in families that are already very progressive, maybe they don't get to see that. But mm -hmm. I know my kids have seen that we've changed. And I just think that's a really important lesson for kids to learn is that they can also change. They can change their minds. They can change their lives. They can change. They can change the decisions that they've made for themselves. Like that's, yeah. that's what being human is. We're always growing mm. and, and moving. Um, yeah. So, yeah. That's huge. I mean, that, that points to me to a different world. Like if, if there's mm -hmm. one thing that, nah, not one thing is, it's just a big thing, I guess. But like you look at, the way the world is operating right now and the way we interact with people around us, it feels like our inability to admit that we were wrong at some point and might have to change and will change our opinion and maybe go, oh, that person over there that I disagreed with yesterday, I now agree with and I don't feel embarrassed. I don't feel shame about it because that's really what stops us kind of changing our mind, right? With rigidity, pride and I'm right, you're wrong. I'm in the in-group, you're in the out-group. But this concept of seeing that model for us, someone going, hey, this was what was right for me yesterday and I'm now realizing it's not right and that's okay. It's not a, we don't have to be shamed about it. We don't have to be upset about it. We can just go, oh, great, we've changed, we've moved. Like that feels like a, a generational shift because I don't see that modeled even outside of religion, to be honest with you. Um, it feels like that's a very, yeah. I don't know, deeply <laughs> I, ingrained I, I, thing. Yeah, I'm still trying to uh, figure out what exactly feeds into that because I still struggle with it till this day. Um, mm. Just like I have this big fear of being flaky. <laughs> like I right. don't want people to perceive me as flaky and as changing my mind. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I think conservative cultures tend to be more static, right? They tend to want to preserve the status quo. Yeah. And so maybe my years of growing up in that just reinforced this fear of like, oh no, you stick to, and then maybe the Protestant work ethic as well. Like you, you, you don't quit, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you stick with what you've committed to and you don't quit. Yeah. And so I definitely have that, um, have that in me. So mm. yeah. I love the um, practice of reevaluating, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, yeah. Always reevaluate. <laughs> so trying something and saying, okay, well, we're going to reevaluate in a few months or a few weeks or a few years um, has been helpful, a helpful practice for me because it, I think it allows me to be more willing to take risks and try different projects or try doing different things because I don't have to necessarily commit to it. I can just try it and, yeah. uh, and then reevaluate. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I love that. That's amazing. What, I mean, some of these things you're mentioning, it, it feels like a lot of them are um, holdovers from certain components of faith, you know, components of faith, but, but specifically even concepts within our theology, our view of God's almost, I, I guess, the way I see it is generally speaking, our leadership in church, for example, will tend to look like God. And so, or the version of God they believe in. And then how we, how we're to interact with our leadership is almost how we're to interact with it, how, how they're supposed to interpret mm-hmm. God. There's this kind of like, you look like the God you worship almost. And I, I guess mm-hmm. what I've seen and observed, and I, and again, from the outside as not a parent, maybe I, as a kid, I've, I've observed this even maybe, um, is, Parenting often reflects how we conceive our, the way we're supposed to relate to God almost. Um, there's this like microsm of we are the God of our little family. And, um, yeah. and so there's this God who loves you, but is still going to punish you if you're not right or if you're not holy, or if you're not, you know, in yeah. right standing. Or well, whatever. I mean, evangelicalism, in evangelicalism, that's made explicit. Um, mm. you are, you take on the role of discipline just as God disciplines us. We have to discipline our kids. Like that's not even mm. subtle. Um, yeah. So, so essentially parents become the gods of their children. Um, and it's horrible because the God is that God is authoritarian. And so then you become authoritarian parents to your kids, which is very harmful um, and not at all the best way to raise children. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's not subtle at all. They, that's the plan. That's the design that you Mm. act that way. And, and it's terrible because we shouldn't, how it's just extremely arrogant to think that we can be God. And, And for anyone who has a healthy expression of who God is, God should be love and, and loving and, um, and not mediated by punishment. <laughs> you know, it's that really abusive notion that love feels like pain, right? Like when mm. parents, a lot of times when they maybe spank their kids, they say, I'm doing this out of love. And right. in the whole, this hurts me more than you or all these kind of things right. that we say. And in conservative theologies, it's the same. It's like, sometimes you go through hard times, but it's because God is, God loves you and God wants to you know, bring good things out of this very terrible tragedy in your life. Mm. And so, so it's always this equating of love with pain and suffering. Um, you know, it's the, the redemptive suffering, right? And it's, it's very confusing for a child 
right? Yeah. It's this, it's a distortion of what love is. Love shouldn't feel like pain. Love should feel lo- like love. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so yeah, it's, it's very distorted. I, I don't, I don't know. I've moved away from that kind of thinking for so long. It's hard for me to even remember yeah. that that's how people parents, but certainly in what I try to promote, we don't act like gods to our children. Um, yeah. We we trust. We want our children to trust themselves to um, to learn to uh, develop a way of intrinsically motivating themselves. We we want them, of course, to do good in this world, to be good in this world. But there's this trust that that, that they would if we pour in love. <laughs> You know, I think they they're gonna mirror, right? What um, mm. what they see and um, and so much of right crime or misbehavior comes out of toxic wounds of toxic wounds of childhood. Yeah. Um, and so, if we can actively try to not harm our children, that goes a long ways into fixing some of the social problems that we have in mm. society. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me that you talk about not reading my book because it's a parenting book, but I, I'm all, and not, not that I'm trying to sell you my book, but I always <laughs> try to say that for anyone who has like a desire and heart for social justice and for creating a better world, like the, the parenting space is very important because not just for parents, because I think we can fix so many of our big problems if we can learn to treat children better, to learn yeah. to learn to treat this next generation um, in a better way for the hope of a better society. Um, and yeah. that it's not just parents that need to do that, right? <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so. Yeah. I remember there was um, a book years ago when I was in much more kind of evangelical fundamental world. There was a book that I absolutely loved, and it was a it was a parenting book. Um, and someone had given it to me, and I was I read it. I don't know why, and and it was teaching very kind of progressive views in, in a lot of ways, considering uh, it was a Christian book. But it was talking about giving kids autonomy, giving them like healthy choices, like you know, um, giving them great deals of freedom, treating them like a human being, not just you know yeah. my property okay. that I'm at some point going to have to come to terms with gets to have its own life. Um, and 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 people frequently ask me what my favorite book on leadership was, and I would recommend this book, this parenting book, because I was like, mm. honestly, if you can get that, I have to treat a two year old like this. You should really get that I should probably teach other people in my church or my leadership team like this. Like, it, it, you know, if people struggle to handle this as a parent, as a, a how to deal with kids, but honestly, we don't treat other adults as though they have autonomy a lot of time, right? We, we treat right. people like pawns most of the time, or we try and control and manipulate and we get upset when they don't do our, what we want and whatever it is. And, and I just think like, gosh, what a different way to engage with the world, yeah. you know, and, and even like we're that's talking such about a good like social point. justice and, yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because I I feel like a lot of people who have broken away from um kind of a toxic religious background, they're very wary of leadership because they mm-hmm. for so long they had to submit to this authority that was harmful to them. Um and so they 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 become dissenters, right? Like we just want to dissent. But the reality is there you can't really have a healthy 
thriving culture without solid leadership. It just doesn't happen because good leadership provides vision. It provides a safe space. um, They provide um, cohesiveness, right? And Mm. without cohesiveness, you don't have movement and energy. Um, So if you look at the elections, like what turned Georgia blue Stacey Abrams provided this leadership and and galvanized yeah. people and and mobilizing like you you can't get things done <laughs> right without some kind of leadership and and so Absolutely. I think I think we have to embrace that we have to understand that leadership is necessary um, but but of course right we don't want to repeat the hierarchical authoritarian leadership we want mm. healthy leadership and I think you're right that parenting is um, a model for that because we also don't want to be per- permissive parents where we just kind of let our kids do whatever they want to. Um, that's not yeah. very loving, right? But the yeah. loving thing to do is to provide those boundaries and to give them a sense of grounding and security and at the same time, giving them power and autonomy. Mm. Um, and I think that's what healthy leadership should look like. Like any leader who is seeking to give power to you, that's a good leader. Any leader that's trying to take power away from you is, is authoritarian, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I, I do appreciate that comparison of parenting mm. with leadership. It's a good Yeah, I, I guess track. something that fascinates me is kids, I mean, when you look at something like psychological development, you know, kids go through different stages where they need remarkably different things. You know, you look at what a toddler needs to survive in this world, just from a psychological perspective, just to feel safe, just to feel whatever it needs, um, to a seven-year-old, to a 16-year-old. You know, those are radically different stages where you're probably going to want to give a 16-year-old a lot more autonomy than a toddler. But you still want this toddler to feel like it has autonomy and, and, and genuinely have autonomy, but at the same time go, okay, yeah, but I need to create some boundaries for it, some structure. Right. A seven-year-old wants a lot more certainty, whereas a 16-year-old, you might feel a bit more comfortable going like, ah, I don't know. None of us really know. You say that yeah. to like a seven-year-old that's so looking good. for meaning, probably needs a bit more meaning. Like, how do you, how do you navigate, like, balancing that understanding what you're because yeah. I, I guess every kid's different on some level they, they all have kind of this general growth that that kids kind of right. navigate but they all do it so uniquely like how do yeah. you go about as a parent navigating this because a lot of people the default is certainly if they come from fundamental is like well we just you know we just tell what it is and we yell at them until they do it the way we do it and we set up yeah. the fixed rules because i said so doesn't matter whether you're two or you're 17 because i yeah. said so this is the rules you know, from right. the two-year-old wanting to get a glass of milk by itself right through to the 17-year-old wanting to go out with her boyfriend for the evening, mm-hmm. right? It's still, here's the rules. This is what I demand from you. Obviously, there's yeah. kind of a whole yeah. dynamic there of figuring out how to do that as a parent well. And there probably is like, there probably is yeah. structures still needed and things at different ages. Yeah. So there's several things I would say to that. First of all, I do think we have to disrupt some of these age constructs. Mm. Um, I feel like a lot of the age constructs have been really a result of capitalism. <laughs> when when toy makers wanted to sell toys to more people, they set up these ages of like, okay, mm. these are toys for three to five year olds. 
preschool toys. And then when you turn five, then you have to go to school, you know, school age, five to 11, whatever. And these constructs came about because of corporations trying to sell you stuff. Um, And so I do think we need to disrupt that because like you said, every child is different. Um, And I think any parent who's right had to potty train a child know that they are ready when they're ready, not necessarily Mm. because there's a timeline of when they're ready. Um, And so that's one thing to keep in mind. There are 17 year olds that are still quite immature. And I don't mean that in a derogatory way. It's just they're not their brains haven't developed quite yet. And then there are six year olds who are remarkably sophisticated Um, Mm. just because every person and every child is unique. Um, So, yeah, so I would keep that in mind to not assume that, you know, kids should act a certain way. Like, for instance, I'm, I was never a rebellious teenager, right? But that's the assumption that we make (laughs) of teenagers that, oh, teenagers are rebellious. And I just wasn't. And that's, that's just my development. Um, Mm. So that's one thing. Uh, Having said that, there are, some, I think we have to use some of those developmental research um, as a resource for us as parents, right? Like we rely on the research of sociologists and parenting experts who do observe these general developmental needs. Like you said, a two-year-old doesn't have the motor skills to maybe pour herself milk quite yet. Um, And so yeah, taking into the consideration of this research, we do understand the different needs. And I think investing in um, knowing that is helpful um, when we know, when we engage our kids. Um, And I think when it comes to, um, well, I mean, I mainly talk about like faith formation, right? Right. And, And spirituality with our kids, like there are different needs. So like you said, a seven-year-old might need a lot of certainty. They just want to know where we go when we die. Mm. They, they don't want like, well, we don't actually know. There's <laughs> <laughs> the 13 different theories. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there are, so what I, what we talk a lot about in my community is the concept of scaffolding, scaffolding, mm. right? So instead of saying, um, giving kids certain answers and, Um, and then saying, this is the final answer, we kind of prepare them for the more nuanced conversations when they're ready. Mm. Um, And yeah, I mean, the the practicalities of doing that is could be difficult, but it really depends on like who your child is and the kind of relationship that we have with their child. But it's like, don't just tell them, Um, you know, so if somebody does ask about death, like, where do we go when we go to heaven? Don't just give them the certain answer and leave it at that, right? Like prepare Mm. them for the more nuanced conversations of when they are older. Mm. Um, And what does that look um, like? So when you're talking about that, like I'm a, I don't know, a seven or six year old going, you know, my grandmother's died and I'm going, so what, where did she go? Like, is she going to go to, is, does she go somewhere and live somewhere? Like, so I think for me, if some, if a kid asked that question, I would look, I would think about what is driving that question, you know? And I think for some kids, it might be anxiety of their own death. Right. And for other kids, it might be just a real sense of grief that they're, they've lost this person that's special in their life. Um, And for some, it might be intellectual curiosity 
Um, some kids are just, you know, have existential questions at a young age. And so I think you have to kind of look at the thing beneath the thing and address right. that mm. um, instead of just giving them the doctrinal answer. You know, like if you believe, you know, grandma is in heaven, um, you I just think that that doesn't it it's weak. It's a weak answer <laughs> because mm. it's not satisfying the thing beneath the thing. Yeah. yeah. So for a child who's maybe anxious about their own death. Um, I would maybe give the answer, <clears throat> you know, grandma has had a very long life. This is not something that you need to be worried about right now. You're safe. You're loved. Um, the chances of anything happening to you is very low, right? Like I would try to yeah. fulfill that. Need. Um, now, yeah. if it's an intellectual question, then I would maybe talk about it in a scientific way. Like, oh, well, this is what happens to our bodies. You know, our hearts start beating and maybe go that direction. Um, all, of course, in age-appropriate ways and in ways that they can understand and accept, sure. right? So, yeah, yeah, I think I would encourage people to look at the thing beneath the thing. And that requires a lot of listening to your child, right? To not, <laughs> a lot of parents, they uh, jump to answering a child's question because they're so flustered and anxious about the question. But, you know, maybe before you answer the question, ask a few more questions um, to figure out what what is really driving the, the question asker. Yeah. No, I, I think that's really insightful and, and quite beautiful as well. I think this, it, it, I mean, it opens up a whole level, level of connection with the child as well. Uh, yeah. It just isn't there when you just go, this is what's happening. I mean, of course, in something like that, you know, you've just lost grandma. That means you've just lost mom or, you know, like there's, there's so much that's going right. on there that makes it a very right. and hard thing to do anyway. If it's, the, if it's the grief that's driving them, then I would really encourage validating that with your own emotions, right? Mm. Say, hey, listen, it's okay to be sad because I'm really sad too. And yeah. we can cry together and we here are ways that we can cope with our grief and and giving them tools like these are all such valuable life lessons that yeah. um, moments like losing a loved one is just rich with opportunities to to raise a human being um, because you're teaching them so many important lessons, right? Like yeah. validating emotion and re giving them resources and tools for coping with sadness, um, all of these things. And so, yeah, those these. As hard as these times are, they are kind of a prime time for cultivating spirituality um, mm. because our kids, I say our, I say all our kids are spiritual beings because I believe that, but we don't, just like the rest of us, we aren't always explicit about expressing our spirituality because we're busy <laughs> with a lot of other things at the activities uh -huh. of life. And so often it's like those moments before you go to bed. So that's why like the bedtime tuck in routine is so precious because yeah. a lot of times I know for my kids, those are the times when they ask the deeper questions of life. Um, when everything is still, when their mind can um, begin to slow down. And mm. um, so, so Yeah. And then you sit, go home, go to your bed and lay awake all night going, what do I think about that? <laughs> <laughs> they give you the existential crisis before you go to bed. That's funny. Yeah. Uh, I love yeah. it. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It, it reminds me, I think um, earlier in the year, I was talking to a very young girl, like seven years old in the back of someone's car that was giving me a lift uh, after I'd done some meetings. And she asked me about hell. 
And I was like, I guess she found out from her parents that I was there to talk about Jesus or something. I don't know. Um, and she says, she, she asked me, it's like, what do you, what, what do you think about hell? And I was like, oh, like, that's weird. And I'm like, I'm not that experienced talking to kids. I mean, I don't have my own. I, I mean, talked to a few kids here and there, but, um, especially not in the midst of a pandemic. How um, old was this girl? Like seven, maybe. Maybe eight, young, you know, but Mm -hmm. I I guess, you know, maybe looking at some of these things, but I think growing up in a Christian church, you know, that kind of environment. And, and, but I, I I kind of did feel like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the dad's sitting right there. I'm I'm not going to touch that with a barge pole. So what do you think about how, like, you know, just asking the question and, and it turns out like, oh, there's so much more to this question, you know, where, where she Mm -hmm. took what she was thinking about how and the questions it was given her. I'm like, whoa, like you're doing some really existential kind of like questioning of like, who are we? Why are we here? What goes on after we die? What is the nature of God? Like all that stuff was packed into this one question that I could imagine very easily. I'm I'm sure parents would have given a great answer and and gone into depth as well. Uh, Great parents. Um, But I could imagine many parents would just go, oh, that's where you go if you don't know Jesus. And that'd be the end of the conversation. You know, like that's a much easier, simple, controlled answer, but Mm -hmm. it doesn't really answer the question because there's a whole bunch more to it, you know, if, if, if you're willing to ask the question, I guess. And so, um, that's mm-hmm. why I just, I love that answer that going beyond the actual, uh, surface kind of question, going beyond the, the surface stuff. It's, yeah. Uh, it's um, so huge. I just, speaking of how I just read this article about <clears throat> this planet that like is like a literal hell. It's like very high temperatures and degrees. <laughs> And I was like, oh, well, hell does exist. <laughs> <clears throat> we just need a lot better uh, space technology to get there. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the story of you um, talking to this girl is is really poignant because I think for people, especially with religious trauma, I mean, hell is usually a big part of that trauma because Massive. a lot of us were traumatized with hell when we were kids and that stays in our bodies, right? Mm. Um, and so a lot of times when kids bring up questions that could really be just out of curiosity and a place of healthy questioning, um, we react to it. We're like, mm. oh, I have to debunk this this idea right right now. I can't have my children talking about hell at all. And that's, you know, what, what you're doing is you're shutting down that curiosity and you're saying that it's not okay to ask questions. Um, and so that's too bad. <laughs> I don't, <clears throat> I don't want to judge parents who react that way because I have reacted that way myself <laughs> and it's, <clears throat> it's understandable, but, um, but I think we have to remember that our kids are not us. They are not yeah. going to be traumatized in the same way, <laughs> um, especially if they're growing up under our care, right? Yeah. Um, and so to not react so quickly to their questions about these kinds of things, about Jesus, about hell, about um, salvation and, and all this stuff, but to, to, like you said, first listen to what they're asking. What are they grappling with? Mm. Um, and what's leading to, to this now, sometimes, um, I know there are parents in my community who have reported that their kids come back from Sunday school or from childcare that's run by religious people. And they say things like, um, mom, do you know that I have sin in my heart? Mm. 
And that's something that is a big red flag because it's telling me that this child is internalizing the shame, right? And that, like I said, this spiritually abusive teaching. Um, and so I think that is something to respond to <laughs> yeah. quite, uh, <clears throat> quite urgently, right? Because you want yeah, to absolutely. protect your child from that kind of abuse. Yeah. I mean, this brings up, I guess, so in, in your example, I don't, had you kind of started to deconstruct your faith before you had your kids or as you were just having your kids, your kids were very young and you were kind of already beginning. So I guess the the question I have is uh, what do you do with, with kids that are older and have, and you're wanting to instill that autonomy and that, that, that freedom that have got a bit of background in church maybe they're 11 12 and they've been going to church their whole life and you go i'm out i'm done with this shit it's it's toxic it's horrible i hate it um and yet they're like but mom i love it here and i do believe this stuff and they can engage with this on some level intellectually probably a lot more than most of us give people credit for at that kind of age um and yet there is a very real component of like, this is unhealthy, at least from my perspective, which I see as a more enlightened, evolved, wise, I've been there, done that view. Um, but as an 11 year old kid, just doing this and loving it and going, no, I really believe that there is a hell and I need to be this and there is sin and I need to try and be a good kid or pray to Jesus or whatever the things are. How do parents navigate that kind of stuff? You know, I mean, yeah. I guess it's different if they're young and they're in a Christian church at school just occasionally and you're like, kind of like, yeah, but we don't really believe that. Or even that might be very problematic as time goes on. They might genuinely kind of engage with that. Like you said, you can't really control that. Um, yeah. <clears throat> what would you yeah. recommend to parents that are doing that with later stage kids that have more of the, um, that, that programming, yeah. right. They're already being yeah. traumatized. Or <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I have heard stories like that. It's very heartbreaking. Um, and some, some people in my community, they're older, you know, it's kind of the opposite of what we normally assume. They are more progressive and their adult children are more mm. fundamentalists. Yeah. And I think that's very, it's, it's a very difficult place to be at, but I, I guess I don't see a way of, I think to avoid hypocrisy, we have to say that, yeah, our children get to make decisions for themselves. I think part of um, giving our kids freedom is the risks that they will choose things that are harmful for them. Um, Mm. And we, as parents, I think we make ourselves vulnerable to that um, if we truly give them the autonomy. Um, So, I mean, I think it would depend. I think if you were the one that raised, that exposed your kids to that teaching, then I think there's really um, um, an opportunity to basically repent and and ask for forgiveness and and to say that listen I'm the one that raised you and I'm the one that exposed you to this and I have changed my mind I now Mm. see you know I think there's room for the explanation especially for older kids you can have those kinds of conversations and I think just being honest being very honest about the mistakes that you've made um, and then showing them the process of why you change your mind. This is how I discovered that this is toxic. This is how I find that it hurts people, people of color or gay people or whatever um, that drove you away from that toxicity and say, listen, I don't want you to hurt other people. And mm. um, and to 
compel them, right? Um, from autonomous human being to autonomous human being and, and try to persuade them. I, I mean, I think I'm trying to persuade people all the time. I, I sure. don't evangelize people, but I do try to persuade and compel. Um, and I think that that's maybe the way that we have to engage with our kids. Um, but it's honestly not been my experience, thankfully. Um, so I don't, I feel like I'm speaking a little bit outside of my lane, but I, I just, mm. I guess if I try to imagine myself in that position, I, I can only be consistent, right? In my unfundamental yeah, principles, no, if I, if I make space for the freedom for them, for them to make decisions that I don't agree with. Yeah. It's, it it's is, a really it's hard, hard dynamic when you're mm-hmm. working with, I'm all inclusive and mm-hmm. my kid wants to be part of an exclusive group. How do I include that? Like, you know, what do I do with that dynamic? How do we, yeah. how do we engage with that? It, it, it suddenly becomes a very um, complex thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I yeah. want my kids but to be like autonomous to and they're giving that up or, but yeah. yeah. But I like to believe that parents still is a huge influence in most mm. children, even adolescence life. Um, and so I, yeah, I don't, I think that that's kind of a fear that people have. It certainly was my fear as well <laughs> that, you know, I knew that the best way my kids could rebel against me is to choose fundamental <laughs> fundamentalism. Right. And, but mm. I, I do feel like that fear is sometimes blown out of proportion. Um, I, I feel like we should trust that we have influence on our kids, especially if we have treated them with respect and dignity. Um, I feel like that's much more, um, you command respect when you respect the other person. Right. Yeah. Um, and so hopefully you respect your child and they are willing to respect you in return. Um, and, and in that way, your voice will matter more to them Mm. than some of the other voices that, that is, that's speaking to them. Yeah. And then I guess as well, talking about kids that are slightly older, I mean, we all deconstruct in our own time and, and whatever that looks like, but for some parents, they are deconstructing with kids that are older that have been brought up with a very different model. I mean, out of the best of hearts, you know, I think of someone like my dad out of the best of hearts with no other understanding of how to parent, he gave us a good walloping frequently, you know, it mm. felt frequently as a kid. I'm sure it wasn't that frequent yeah. action, but you know, there was a bent over wooden spoon, whatever. I think I got mm. belt a couple of times. Um, I don't yeah. know if I did actually or whatever. I can't remember my, I won't put that on my dad, but that's all he knew. Right. And yeah. I imagine if he had deconstructed when I was 15, 16, and it comes to me and gone, hey, like, I'm sorry. I'm kind of like, whatever. 15-year-old me would have been an asshole to my dad. <laughs> my, he would not have been forgiving. He would have not been understanding. He would have not gone, okay, well, let's start over. I was pretty set in stone of like, oh, my parents are the worst. You know, whatever by that point. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, is there – how do parents go about that kind of – shift and dynamic as well like what is the the way that you engage a kid that you've because kids generally speaking do quite like a bit of stability on the whole and for a parent to suddenly go through this change i know that a lot of times it's not a sudden change but by Mm -hmm. the time you figure out how you are going to be engaging with your kids maybe you've been sitting on the fence going i don't know how to do this and suddenly you come across maybe parenting forward or you come across your um your unfundamentalist group on facebook and you go oh gosh this is it okay now i have a model i'm going to start applying it 
Like, is that, is that something that works? Is that something that, that doesn't work? How do people navigate that? How do you set expectations for how you're going to go about these changes with kids? I mean, I think we can look to like divorced families, right? That's Mm. a very profound and practical, practically speaking. I mean, all of a sudden you're living in one home and the kids are living in two homes, Mm. right? Like that's a very profound shift in the kids' lives. But we, we now see lots of examples of kids thriving right through that transition. So it sounds like it's a really hard and impossible thing to do, but it's quite possible. Um, kids are very resilient. They are mm-hmm. able to adapt to changes. They look at the way that kids are responding to this pandemic. Their lives are totally upset. Their schools are all of a sudden online. They're having to go on lockdown and they're, they, they just adapt. Um, some mm-hmm. of them, I think, quite better than adults. <laughs> <laughs> quite a bit better than adults. Um, and so I would just say, I think kids can handle it. They are able to manage your transition and your shifting. Um, I think that honesty is really important. I think you have to be honest and, and let your kids know that what's, what's been going on and what's going on. Um, but also, you know, love and belonging, <laughs> those two very important pillars of family life and I agree with you. I think kids need a lot of security and stability, but that stability is the stability of love. Right. So like mm. we want to talk about divorced parents. It's like mo- a lot of parents, they, they divorce, but they tell their kids, Hey, we're getting divorced. This is a decision that we've made between us. Um, but we still love you. Right. That's always the addendum. And yeah. because that's really what's the most important thing if the kids know that they're still loved, mm. um, then it's almost like it can conquer all things, right? They can weather a lot of tra- changes. You know, not to say that we don't still give them resources to help them with those transitions, but those resources are out there. Um, yeah. And so, so yeah, I, <clears throat> I would say definitely um, make it a priority to provide that love and belonging to your kids. Um, And then when it comes to the shifting, and I, I talk about the importance of sharing our faith shifting stories. I think it's really important because like I mentioned, it's important for kids to know that they can also change their minds and they can also navigate their faith um, as they grow. Um, But I think it's really important to be Um, conscious of the space that your mind and state is at when you share those stories. Um, So you don't share in the heat of the moment. (laughs) You share when you're in a place of when you've kind of, you're more stable and you have set up resources for yourself. So other adults or therapists or spiritual advisors Mm -hmm who are receiving sort of the brunt of your anxieties and reactions so that when you do speak to your child, it's out of a space of um, lovingly sharing your story and this um, just frank honesty and a desire to share who you are with your children. Um, I think that's very different from, you know, let me tell you about how betrayed I felt by the church and how hurt I am. And because, you know, when you do that, you make your children feel like they're responsible for your wounds. Um, Mm. That's quite unfair to them. Um, I think you have to 
let them know this is not your responsibility. I, I experienced these hard times, but this is not on you. I have people who are helping me. You don't have to worry mm. about me, but I want to tell you about these hard times that I went through because mm. I want you to know me. I want you to know my story. And I want you to know that if you struggle, that you're not alone. Um, and basically it's sort of to humanize yourself, right? Yeah. Cause I think a lot of Absolutely. kids don't realize their parents are also humans. <laughs> oh, I, I had no concepts of my parents being humans until yeah. very late, <laughs> very, very late. Like they were like, they never flinched. Nothing ever was wrong. You peel out the layers and like, you know, people were dying left, right and center. And this is crazy, you know, like just people were ill and whatever, but it was always like, it's okay, we're fine gonna be fine like no emotion shown no like you know and you're like whoa like they really felt the need on some level to protect us from you know their humanity their their ups and their downs and and um that's had a profound like negative impact on me there's been positives that have come from that and, and grown through that but but that is huge and i guess you're talking about that as though, you know, okay, sharing your faith journey with your kids and, and going, hey, that's, you know, this is how I've handled it. This is what's going on. It's not on you. I've got people to help me. Don't feel you need to like look after me or anything. Mm-hmm. That from the other side, I can mm-hmm. like go, yes, okay, great. But like you and I both know the process of this can be years sometimes. You know, I, mm-hmm. I've talked to people that are 10 years in and still mm-hmm hurt and really angry and not sure how to like funnel that emotion and probably do take it on their kids at times or whatever Mm. and they don't have community anymore it's gone and they don't know how to recreate community they're struggling to figure out how to recreate community and they don't they don't have a therapist because i don't know maybe they're still holding on to an old belief that therapy is evil and you should only talk to pastors or whatever even though they hate pastors or you know all Mm. this stuff going on Mm mm-hmm do, do do they do a my parents and kind of just go brave face don't show that i am struggling um like how do people in the midst of it all um mm-hmm. you know spiritually guide their kids do they go okay well, we'll act as though we're at stage one before i had a meltdown and just kind of while i'm figuring it out just act as though nothing's changed spiritually and allow them to kind of go through that or is there the hey i'm changing i'm I'm trying to figure out a bit like what you're talking about there kind of from the other side but i'm struggling but i'm figuring that out don't worry it's not your responsibility how do you go about that in a lengthy period of time where it's not just oh that was a a blip in the radar this could be i mean when you're looking at kids you've only got them for you know 15 years of their kind of school age years You could be three quarters of that, you know? (laughs) I I do think that um, between parents and non-parents who are going through the same deconstruction process, of course, it's always impossible to compare two humans going through this process is Mm. so unique. But let's just for the sake of comparison, I think if you're a parent, you're going to have to speed it up a little bit more for reasons that you've said, because the the child growing up in front of you, time is not stopping for them. Mm. Um, And so I do find that parents who are going through this, you have to remember we said deconstruction is just figuring stuff out. You have to figure stuff out a little bit quicker because you're forced to confront, well, what do I say? What do I believe? What do I want to pass on? Um, And I mean, that's just the responsibility of a parent. You chose to have Mm. kids. So that's just your reality. 
Um, and, and I think in a way it's try to uh, embrace it as a good thing in your life. Like sure. you, you have to, you know, kind of like you have to grow up a little bit faster <laughs> because yeah. you're a parent. <laughs> well, um, everyone I know, if that is go in the midst of that season, if you could say, Hey, here's a pill, you can take it and it will speed this up. It will cut the time in half. I don't know anyone that wouldn't go, okay, hit me up. I'll take that. Um, yeah. And so the idea of like, oh, well, like, you know, because you have kids, you're probably going to go through this faster. I'm like, oh God, that sounds like a big silver lining to having kids. Um, yeah. Big time. Yeah, you, I mean, you have experienced that as well, that you would say that on the whole people that do have kids that are maybe younger, that maybe looking to them for spiritual guidance, they do tend to do that. It's not just that I they do should feel, and I hopefully do. Right. I do feel like, yeah, because parents will ask questions about, well, this I'm, for example, let's say this idea of sin, right? Like they're, they're not, cause you know how it's, it's scary to let go of doctrines that you grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I can see that this parent is struggling with letting go of this doctrine. They're afraid to say something like there is no sin. You're not sinful person. Like that sounds too radical for them, but at the same time, they've got this, three-year-old or five-year-old saying, I have sin in my heart. And they instinctively and intuitively know that this is not what they want for their child to feel that way. And so all of a sudden, they're going to have to get there a little bit faster. They're going to have to let go of that doctrine and deconstruct it faster because Mm. this is a problem that's confronting them right now. This, this tender child in front of them receiving this, this doctrine. Um, So in that way, like in this specific incident, I feel like, yeah, this is going to speed up your deconstruction. You're going to have to let go. And as hard as it is, and I understand that it is hard. um, But to me, somebody who's gone through it and looking back, it's not a bad thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Letting go of that quickly is not a bad thing. Letting go of something toxic faster. In fact, how many of us wish that we would have let go of some of the toxicity we held on to for too long faster? (laughs) No, Um, absolutely. So so that is, I guess, a perk of parenting while deconstructing. Wow. It basically, I, I do research with the deconstruction community where we've got a huge kind of pool of people that we're doing research on. It and it makes me, I'm suddenly in my back of my head, I'm going, oh, that's a metric we should measure. We should have a look at this because we're doing long-term as well as short-term uh, research. So we're looking over 10 years, five years, like who deconstructs more quickly than others? Is it certain groups of people? Is it certain types of people? It'd be really fascinating to throw in, um, are your parent, what age are your kids? And then have a measure of that of like, oh, whoa, people that have young kids deconstruct quicker than people that aren't people are single mm-hmm. or people have grown up kids or whatever. It'd be really fascinating. Yeah. But then you have the factor of what we talked about is a lot of young families, they might hold on to the traditional churches because they provide better child support. Right. Yeah. So you have, there's that factor and then you wonder, yeah. Oh, did they stay longer because they have that built in community and all the activities mm. and the resources that's there. Um, so there's, yeah, there's just so many yeah. factors. <laughs> I, I talked to, um, one of my good friends I was with, uh, earlier in the year over in America and, and his wife is part of a, a mega church and she, she still holds on to her faith and, and, um, and he has deconstructed and they've got a very young child and, um, the child goes along to church with, with the mother. And, and I was asking like, what's your thoughts on that? And he's like, I think it's great. I really want my kids to be around that kind of environment because there is like these great resources obviously but also right. i want the child to learn that's a belief and 
Daddy doesn't believe that. Mommy does. And we can have different ideas and different beliefs. And what do you believe in? And talks about yeah. that. But do, do you have thoughts on how to navigate? I mean, some, some people like, this isn't just a, a nice thing. This is, this is able to get by in life thing. You know, the church provides mm-hmm. services like childcare and, and different things yeah. that allow the parents to work, to be able to That's pay right. bills, to eat. You know, I mean, for a lot of people, this is like yes. actually, you know, yes. the line. Uh, how do do you see people navigating that well in certain ways how to keep hold of like maybe access to these resources but bringing up their kids well i guess it touches on maybe going to christian schools and things like that as well um how how do you have conversations with kids about that like because you know there is i i know we talked about the parents having a great deal of influence on um on children but there's a lot of data out there that says it's quite a weak influence at times um for children mm. compared to peers compared to other cons- components right so they go to a missionary school or a christian school and their peers have a big weight on them and if all their peers yeah. are going oh yeah you're a sinner or your mom's a sinner or whatever i don't know mm-hmm. that's that's gonna do some stuff like h- how yes. do you recommend people engage with these kind of um resources whether they have to or if they don't have to is it advisable to use those and, yeah. and just well the child I around think, like everything else there are so many factors to take consider take into consideration so so the story of the child who came home saying that i have sin in my heart that family is in the situation that you described this school and this child care um is really critical to their family and the kid loves it yeah <laughs> they they love being there and they're happy and and so i think what i said to them was there's a there's there's this fear of toxic teaching taking root in a child's heart um but uh there's also a lot of um ways that you can combat that right and i think like the the dad that you're referring to they're like oh i want my child to know this is a belief yeah i actually think it's really important to be literate in like bible bible Mm. stories and the culture in fact i think that a child who understands the culture um really well is less likely to fall prey to it in like their impressionable years in adolescence when they I don't know if you've heard of this idea of love bombing. <laughs> mm, okay. Yeah. 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 So when they encounter the love bombing, they might look a little bit deeper into some of the motivations of mm. why all of a sudden this community is showering them with a lot of love and attention. Mm. Um, um, and so I think there are, so I call them spiritual child protection policies. I think there are ways that we can help a child be protected from some of the abusive spiritual teachings. So number one is really expose them to lots of other beliefs. Um, so in this family with where the mom and the dad have different beliefs, that that's really good because the child, um, it, it interrupts their indoctrination, right? Like mm, they're receiving yeah. this teaching from school, but they also are receiving other teachings. And that's huge in just letting them know that this is not just one normal and there's not just one universal way of thinking about life, that there's other ways. And they can begin to navigate multiple stories from a very young age. I think that's very good. It's, it's a way to protect anyone from being steeped in one ideology, right? The danger of a single story. Um, and so there's that. And then there's a, just a very direct um, combating that particular toxic teaching. So 
helping them understand that, okay, you heard this, it's wrong, um, that you can love your teacher and that your teacher can be a good and kind human being, but still be wrong. Like that's very important for kids mm. to learn. Um, so I think there are ways that you can still access that resource, especially if all else is going well and it's working for your family. Yeah, You don't necessarily have to pull them out of that environment um, that there are other ways to ensure that your child thrives. Yeah. Oh, that's so great. And I guess uh, this brings me to another point that I guess is huge. And I'm sure you've come across because it's really common is that not everyone deconstructs with the rest of their immediate family. And so I'm sure you've come across um, couples where one partner is still in many ways ingrained in fundamentalism and the other partner has deconstructed, deconverted, um, whether they've done that openly with their partner or not, because that's a whole kettle of fish, how to go about that. Um, but for whatever reason, they are still together. They are um, in very different places. That's a huge tension in how are we raising these kids? Like, mm-hmm. do you do you have kind of advice that you give people going through this? What are some kind of common kind of dynamics at play that, that you would recommend kind of engaging with? Yeah. Um, yeah, this is common. Um, I don't know if it's very common, I have to say, <laughs> but it is common because, because I think, right. If you are in, well, okay, I'm not going to make any judgments about people's relationships, but, um, I, I think I can just give some advice about people who are deconstructing alongside their partner. I think we have to understand what I think you and I understand, which is that everyone goes through it differently and Mm -hmm. and under a different timeline. Um, And I think, right, mutual respect is to give your partner that freedom to not kind of force them to come alongside your journey in the same speed and way that you are. Um, Mm -hmm. I know that was temptation for me. Like I wanted my partner to to really um, shift at the same pace and in the same way as me. And it just didn't happen because he's a different person with different responses and reactions and um, different triggers. And, and of course there's, you know, I'm married to a man, so there's, there's different messaging, right? Different Mm -hmm. versions of toxicity that comes at a woman and at a man. (laughs) Um, And so just really making space and respecting each other's process, um, I think goes a long ways in going through this journey together. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and then when it comes to parenting, that's that's a really tough one. Um, I feel like all couples, whether or not you're deconstructing, have to make some compromises. And it just takes some communication to get on the same page, to respond to the children um, in, you know, sort of a more unified front because you don't want to be too inconsistent, right? Um, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I do think that our kids are resilient enough to contain, um, right, different personalities. And I even tell them, I was like, you have to understand. And I mean, kids know this. They know that they go to mom to ask for certain things. They go to dad uh-huh. to ask for another thing because they know who they can get away with, right? With what? <laughs> Yeah, so in that in that example, you can see our children's resilience at navigating multiplicity of mm. of ideas and perspectives, and so to not be afraid of being who you are, 
um, being the different human beings that you are. Um, having said that, I do think there are some deal breakers. I think that if, for instance, recently somebody told me that their partner who hasn't deconstructed and he's deconstructed, that she's wanting to take the kids to church um, and he feels like it's not safe with the pandemic. Mm, yeah. So I feel like that's something that you, that's kind of a deal breaker. This concerns my children's well-being and health and i'm i'm not going to compromise on that right so you have to kind of pick your battles right sure um so that's a battle you might want to fight and put your foot down and say no i i you cannot take my children to church mm. because it's gonna they might it might be a super spreader event <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah right um yeah. and then but then there are maybe other things that you can compromise on and say okay yeah i'm okay if you take them to this bible study that i totally don't agree with um provided that i want to be able to say i want to be able to have input into my children's spirituality as well so, so yeah, it just depends on so many circumstances and factors, yeah. how you want to approach parenting from different spectrums of theology and, and faith. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it makes sense. And, and the harm, I mean, that's, that example is a great example, because it's a very clear physical risk, you know, mm -hmm. where right. people's different beliefs about that are. But if we're going to believe what scientists are telling us of how things spread, Church, not a great place to go if you're wanting to avoid COVID right now. Um, and yeah. so you, you can see a very physical risk, but, but mm -hmm. I guess the, if you take a step back and go, okay, what, what about other risks? I mean, the trauma of being told that you're going to burn for trillions of years if you don't believe right or tick this box or, you know, whatever, yeah. behave well uh, right. as a young kid. That's a very real, um, damaging right. thing as well depending on how yeah, but, people see it obviously if you're fundamental you're not going to see it that way but and so then, i agree yeah. but you have to also and i mean this is hard for me to to admit too to myself because i was really harmed by that teaching but you mm -hmm. have to admit that there are kids who come through that without harm yeah Absolutely. they seem to be able to just shake it off and be like ah that was just a silly thing my sunday school teacher said and i'm okay right yeah. they don't experience trauma even though oh, and so i think that's where you have to really kind of understand your child and like watch out for signs for red flags like mm. is this something that's traumatizing your child or is it something that you're you're going to be able to help them through and, and give them the resources and the information mm. for them to come through this without trauma um but yeah, there are risks. It's a risk, right? But you yeah. know, life is not without risks, and we have to make these parenting decisions that weigh those risks. But I agree with you um, that spiritual trauma is not le any less damaging than physical harm, like exposure to COVID. And I think that's a really good, good point, and we should think of it in that way because I think mental health is just as important mm. as physical health. Um, but I think being conscious of that is right. It's it's half yeah. the job. Yeah, absolutely. So, and it's, so it is a big battle to have with someone. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Just like the person yeah. that doesn't believe that COVID is a risk and therefore they right. to take their kids to church. Most people yeah. in the church, certainly that are going along to church every Sunday, don't believe that teaching hell is a, is a risk or a, a bad exactly. thing. So that's a so, whole yeah, battle if, to, you might to win want first. To, 
just like you might want to pick the battle of the COVID issue, you, you, yeah, I think you very well, it could be a deal breaker. It's like, no, I do not want my child to go to this church where I can see that she is internalizing the shame mm-hmm. from this spiritually traumatic teaching. And that's, that's a deal breaker for you. Um, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's hard. I, I don't envy people in that yeah. situation. And I hope that I can be of support to them. Um, but I just want to recognize that it's not an easy road yeah. to walk. Yeah. If you and your partner are deconstructing at different paces, or you, yeah. if you really land at drastically different spaces. Yeah. No, I mean, it's a very difficult thing to navigate. I talked to tons mm-hmm. of people going through that. And yeah. the dynamic of having kids on top of that is just a whole other world, um, especially right. when people from a fundamental background do approach children much more as possessions. I know they wouldn't like that language, but it's basically it's, it still ties back to the old beliefs that were in the Bible where women are property, mm. children are property. That's how mm-hmm. we see them. They do what we want. We control them. Um, there's even if that would never be articulated, that's still kind of how we're perceiving or, or building or framing things. And so there is a dynamic that you're coming up against someone who is going, no, no, they are my responsibility. They're my property. I want to make sure they're indoctrinated, as you say. It. That's mm-hmm. a good thing for me. I want that. Um, yeah. And so that's a real battle like to be facing. I, I can't yeah. even imagine the, the dynamic of, and then you're yeah. a passionate mom or dad who's going this is my kid i don't want him to be hurt or harmed in any way you know physical spiritual emotional um that's a huge thing to navigate this is massive yeah. so yeah no yeah. thank you that's really good what what are so i imagine early on you you go into this space and you're like okay we need to create some community we need to create some resources here for people that are going mm-hmm. through these radical evolutions devolutions of uh, faith and spirituality mm-hmm. um in how to parent um, has the landscape changed since you kind of got in there? Is is there more stuff for people going through this? Because, I mean, there is no shortage of people leaving the church, deconstructing, redefining their faith, shifting to progressive movements. Like, is there more stuff coming out? Are there more communities developing? Are there, you know, church communities that are maybe more progressive that are providing these kind of um, children's care? Like, is that changing or does it still feel very kind of, sparse and tumbleweed well you told me that 30 people recommended me <laughs> hmm. yeah well right? it does say that there's not many other than you. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean i i don't know how to feel about that on the one hand i'm happy mm. that people know that this is what i provide on the other hand it does make me wonder why aren't more people doing this work Um, I have to say that there continues to be more and more resources for parenting in a progressive way. Um, And I rely on those communities a lot for providing my community with resources. So Mm. you've got lots of gentle and peaceful parenting, um, parenting, decolonizing parenting. You've got parents who are right. Engaging people, engaging children as real human beings. Like I think that's constantly progressing and evolving. And that's fantastic. Um, And I really connect with those communities. But I have to say there still is very little resources for parents who are going through this particular brand of deconstruction from evangelicalism um, who are parenting. I still don't see a ton of resources in In, in the space. And so I'm continuing to create them. Like I, I think I told you, I, 
I'm running this parenting after purity cultures conference. So it's like, yeah, there are people talking about deconstructing from purity culture. Um, There are people who are talking about parenting with sex positivity, but there's not a lot on that intersection. Right. Sure. Yeah. And so that's kind of where I really want to speak into, because I know it's, it's, it's different. It's a little bit different, right? Wanting to parent our kids in a sex positive way is great, but how do you do that when you are, when you still have those stories inside yeah. of your head from your upbringing? Um, I think it's just a different experience. And so that's kind of what I want yeah. to speak into. Um, yeah. So I, I don't want to say that there's, there hasn't been any progress, um, I think there has been, and I think there are, you know, continuing to be books and resources out there, but at the same time, it does still kind of feel like I, feels like I don't have a lot of competition. Yeah. Well, it's it's a good, good problem for you, um, or a good, a good (laughs) thing for you, I guess. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's remarkable to me. You look at the, the stats of how many people are going into this and, and, and coming out of fundamentalism. It's, it's literally thousands every day just in America alone, never mind worldwide. Um, mm. and you're going to look at the data on just who has kids. You're talking a vast percentage of people on the planet. Um, and so you can only assume that lots of these people have kids and are going to be asking these questions, looking for resources. It really does astound me. Um, but I wasn't really aware of my lack of knowledge of this part of, you know, deconstruction and, and that world as well. And so uh, I guess maybe, uh, it's not on the, the tips of everyone's, uh, or the forefronts everyone's thinking, I, I don't know, but uh, I'm grateful that there are people like you that are creating resources and, and putting stuff out there and um, something like sex positivity and, and changing. I mean, that's huge. Like I talk to people that have not believed in God for 20 years. I talked to a woman who was, I think she was in her like late fifties and, and she hadn't believed in God in over 20 years. And she said she was in the shop and she was looking at an outfit. And she thought, I'd love to wear that. And then she had this thought of like, oh, I could never wear it though. What would people think? That would be so immodest. Like God would be so, she didn't believe in God. And she still got this stuff. And she said also it was like the furthest thing from an immodest outfit, if there is such a thing anyway. You know what I mean? She's like in her like late fifties yeah. or something she was saying, you know, like, she's probably not looking for like, you know, I don't know, a boob tube and a miniskirt or whatever, you know, kids right, are told they're not yeah. allowed to wear. Um, so it's, it's deeply ingrained. So even as we progress out to, to have tools and resources helping us navigate that so we can help our kids navigate, mm-hmm. it's just so huge. And especially yeah. with like, I, I, Tina, have you come across Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers? Yes. She's fantastic. But she, yeah. um, she told me when I had her on her podcast, she says it's the number one metric that they've come across for do kids have a healthy relationship with their parents once the kids become adults? The number one metric was did their parents talk with them throughout their childhood about sex? Really? The number one metric. If you want to have a great relationship with your kids when they become adults, make sure you're talking about sex throughout their childhood <gasps> from early age right through. Isn't that crazy? That is um, mind-blowing. I have no idea what the data point for that is. If you, if you ever want to quote her or something, you have to ask her um, yeah. what that comes from. But it, it blew my mind because I was like, I guess it makes sense. But I was like, whoa, I just would never have guessed it. Um, and wow. so, you know, a great Amazing. point of you creating a conference like that is massive massive for parents because they want to have a great relationship with their kids and who doesn't want to have a great relationship with your kids your whole life you know and 
That's one mm-hmm. of the main ways you're going to do it. Make sure you don't bring in your weird purity bullshit from your past life, right? Yeah. Make sure that yeah. dies at the door and you bring in some healthy stuff. Um, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, thank you. So how can people, because we need to wrap up, but how can people engage with this stuff? The 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 Purity Culture Conference, is that all online or is, is kind yes, of? Yes, it's, yeah. it's not, it, it will be. I haven't announced it yet. So there's no details okay. out yet, but um, you can go to parentingforwardconference.com and access my two other conferences those are all still for sale and um you can join my facebook group at raising children unfundamentalist um and you can find me on social i'm on facebook instagram and twitter um and you can look for cindy wong brand or parenting forward so both of those things are me (laughs) perfect and do you have a preference or do you not really mind how people connect with you because i can probably link one or the other for uh, um, yeah, I feel one. like most people come to me through raising children on fundamentalists on Facebook. So, okay. I'll, I'll make sure there'll be a whole bunch of links in your show notes. So there'll be just a group spew of them, but like that might be where you want to go first. <laughs> I, I, yeah. yeah, that sounds great. Um, yeah. amazing. Yeah. Well, and please let me know when that, uh, conference is live as well, in case I miss it. Cause okay. I'd love to let people know as well. Um, okay. That so, would be yeah. great. And at some point. When I'm a parent, I'll be able to go, oh man, I need to be like listening to your podcast, your books. Maybe I need to read your book anyway, though. We did talk about that. So um, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll pick up a copy. But uh, yeah. thank you so much for coming on. It's, it's been really great. Thank you. I've really enjoyed thank it. Thank you for I having me. I feel like we could have like gone in a hundred different directions, but I love I love the stuff we talked about. And um, mm-hmm. maybe we'll have you on again at some point in the future and we can go in some other directions. Maybe I'll field a whole bunch of questions for you and uh, we can uh, pick your brain or something. Um, yeah that would be fun that would be fun thank you for having me thank you so much and have a good day yeah i mean you've got a lot of time left in your day so (laughs) yeah (laughs) all right all right love you cindy i'll catch that all right bye bye. that was cindy wombrett what a great conversation what an amazing person what an amazing mind um absolutely loved talking with her i really encourage you to check out cindy's stuff give her a follow on instagram uh, she's parenting forward you can find her personal um, Instagram through that as well that she says you're welcome to give a follow um, on Facebook I encourage you go uh, join the group um, raising children unfundamentalist it's RCU group um, the link to both of those will be in the um, show notes so check those out below um, her website Cindy Wongbrand, uh, dot com pretty confident it's .com <laughs> just realizing I don't actually know yes it's .com so do check that out um, she's got some great resources she's got her book Parenting Forward I'd encourage you to go check that out if you want to go into a bit more depth she's got the upcoming conference that's um, coming up um, there's links to that on the website I don't think you can register for that yet uh, it's in April but um, put that on your uh, radar and I'll be sure to um, mention that near the time as well so if you're following me on Instagram you should uh get some uh, notification of that. But yeah, do plug in with Cindy's stuff, connect with her, message her, let her know how much you love this podcast. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. Um, yeah, I really hope you enjoyed it. As I mentioned at the beginning, the deconstructionnetwork.com. Make sure you're on there if you are going through deconstruction, if you want to try 
and uh, connect with other people locally that are going through deconstruction. It's a phenomenal resource for that. Um, I constantly get messages from people that are so thankful they found someone in their local area that understands what they're going through, that they can connect with, that they can be real, they can be vulnerable and raw um, without the fear of judgment of getting cut off from family, friends, all sorts of different things that have happened with other people that have been uh, vulnerable and and many of us know about that. Um, And finally, um, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone that partners with me in what I'm doing. Uh, with putting out this show, different resources for free, the Deconstruction Network, with chatting with people day in, day out, all that stuff I do for free, I do full time. It takes a huge amount of time uh, for me to do that and and so I can't work a different job. Um, But because I do it for free, I do rely on people's gifts. Um, And so thank you to those that do support what I'm doing. Um, For as little as $5 a month, um, you can be a part of that. Um, as a thank you, you get access to a private discussion group over on Discord. We have some phenomenal conversations around the topic of deconstruction, faith, spirituality, um, and pretty much everything else as well. We talk about psychology and philosophy and, um, and just life and how life is going and all sorts of great stuff. So it's a great community to jump in. Um, on if you would like to do that. Um, We also have a monthly Zoom call. We just had our monthly Zoom call this weekend and it was really fun. Um, We talked about a whole bunch of things. We talked about parenting because this podcast was fresh on my mind and and, and it's just a really great way to have a bit more of an intimate connection with me and some other people that are going through this process um, on a regular basis. And so if you'd like to do that, if you'd like to support what I'm doing, you can do that over on Patreon. Just I'm Phil Drysdale, so if you check that out, or phildrysdale.com slash partner. Um, and the link to that is in the show notes as well. Um, and I'm always eternally grateful for people that are able to and uh, willing to help out in that way and keep me uh, doing what I'm doing for free without any requirement or obligation. And that is the key. There is no requirement or obligation for this. I'm still fully available. I'm still here for you if you need to talk. Um, I will still be putting out resources for free forever. Um, None of that's gonna change. And so don't feel you have to give, but if you are able, it does make a huge difference. All right, that is enough for me. I will see you on Thursday for another episode. Peace and love, my friends.